are Hope Church Guildford. This is a recent recording from our Sunday morning gathering. We hope you can join us at the Royal Grammar School on Guildford High Street, Sundays at 10am. Enjoy the message. Let me share a little bit of family news. Um, we, were, we were here, we weren't here last Sunday, and this is really good to be back to just worship together with you all. It's great, just that time of worship. Um, so, some of you might remember that in July we put out a job advert because um, we are looking to employ a new like, operations administrator or type person. And I'm pleased to let you know that we have had a successful applicant. And that lady is a wonderful lady called Rachel May. She's not here this week. There And um, yeah, she, she's brilliant, fantastic, really great interview. And has, um, we're really looking forward to just, you know, increasing the starting. So that's now me and Stuart, Gabriella, and Rachel all work with the church in different kind of lengths of time throughout the week um, from September. And I think it's just going to bless us as we just. You know, grow and go into the future and expand all the different things that we want to do. So, do encourage her. Um, she's, she's off on holiday at the moment, and uh, so, wish her to encourage her. And uh, yeah, I think it's a good thing to be thanking the Lord for in this season. Um, so, let me give some Bibles. Um, these are to do that. Um, if we're going to be in Judges chapter 4 for our story today, and um, it would be good for you to have the, the Bible passage open. So if you stick your hand up in the air, and then the Bible will come to you. Uh, just keep it up, it will write to you. And um, I'm going to do a little bit of intro spiel. So um, you can try to find it whilst I do that. But it's Judges chapter 4. I can tell you, right, if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 166. Um, so. When I was um, younger, in fact, even now, my favourite superhero is Superman. He's just clearly the best because he can fly. Josh is like shaking his head. He can fly. I bet Josh likes Batman. He's not even a real superhero. He's just a rich guy. He's a good guy. Anyway, Superman. Um, he can fly. He can see through things. He can do all sorts of amazing things. And when I was younger, and um, obviously his name is Clark Kent. And lots of people call me CK. My name is Christian Bandy. And so I just encourage people to call me CK, so I'm not speaking like Superman. And um, apart from the skin colour, I can assure you, I'm not Superman in lots of different ways. And, well, but when around 13 or 14 years old, I went to politicians and I suddenly needed glasses. And this was a big day for me. And if I was ever feeling like I needed a bit of bravery, I would just take off my glasses. Face the day, whatever it needs to be. I just love Superman. I've watched every single different type of superhero, Superman movie or series. You can tell. I've even watched the most recent BBC One on series two. Good one. Yeah, yeah. A few fans out there. And the thing about um, Clark Kent, Superman, is that he gets he gets sent to this earth by his Kryptonian parents. That's what he used to do. They don't know. He tripped on that blew up. They, they sent him to his to and he, as a baby, and as he grew up, he had to learn uh, about all his gifts 
that he had. And I guess the real question in those early years is, is he going to use all these gifts he's got for his own benefit or for the benefit of others? And um, there's this moment where he ends up finding this place called the Fortress, which is where his virtual kind of parents were put on teaching about his identity. And he goes there and discovers why he was sent into to be a beacon of hope, which that bit on his chest that everyone gets is an S. It's not an S. It means hope in Kryptonian language. And it's uh, so simple. Anyway, <laughs> um, that he was sent to bring <laughs> He was sent to bring hope to this to this earth. And so once he discovers his identity, he then uses his gifts. And he, he develops in his gifts. And then once he's, he's got his identity, he's got his gifts, does he then sit at home, playing PlayStation, and swaps? No. He then goes out into the world and he uses, from his identity, uses gifts for good for all that he's been called to do. And um, he, he, like, he still gets a long job. He works for the Daily Planet, he's a news, news reporter. And he even gets married, and he has kids, and you can look at his series, it's all about his kids growing up, the teenagers, they develop powers as well, exciting, being a parent, trying to look out the kids if they don't have, anyway. Um, and so he does all the normal stuff of life, all the good stuff of life, and yet, still, he knows his purpose, he knows his calling, he uses gifting to go out into the world to do good. And I think, it's a helpful reminder because sometimes as Christians, we also are given our identity. We learn it from our Heavenly Father in Heaven. And He gives us wonderful gifts. Every single one of us gives. He gives. And He doesn't give begrudgingly, He gives willingly. And He gives generously. And He wants to fill each of us up to all of us to know our identity, to know our gifts. But not to then sit on our hands and feet but actually to step out into the world and to do good. And so in the Bible we have two key things that come up often. It's the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment being love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love others as yourself. And the Great Commission, go out into the world. Share the good news with all people. Make disciples of all nations. There is identity to receive and action to be taken. And so this morning, I want to, uh, we're going to go through the Bible of two amazing women, some of the most amazing women that you'll find in the Bible, who, even in the face of all the kind of blokes around them being absolute wimps and wet fish and not stepping out in their identity, these two women, they step out in faith. They know their identity in God. They know the promises that God has spoken over his people. That this God that we've been talking about, that we know about, and they don't just stop their hands and knees, but they take action. It takes steps of faith. And as a church, actually, those, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, we've dissected those into three statements. So the Great Commission is love the Lord your Great Commandment, love the Lord your God with heart, mind, strength, and spirit. So we call it building family. It's all about discipleship. It's why we do Sundays. It's why we do life groups. It's why we make sure we want to strengthen and help each other grow in our love and faith of God. We've got the Great Commission, which is um, going out and telling people about Jesus. So that we call that sharing Jesus with others. And then the second part of the Great Commandment was also love others as you have self. So we call that helping others. Building family, sharing Jesus, helping others. If you don't know what your calling is from God in life to do, some people have a specific calling, but everyone has a calling 
to love God, to love others, and to share Jesus. And so I want to encourage you by the end of today. Women, you would be encouraged again by these two wonderful women, Deborah and Jao, to step out to all that God's calling you. And men, you will also be fully encouraged by these wonderful women, Deborah and Jao, to take action, to step out, to not be like the wet fish that we find in the story, like those blokes who sit around, who compromise, who dabble with sin, who let the enemy take hold in different areas of their life, but instead are strong and courageous to step forward. So that makes sense, that's where we're going. So I'm going to read the story, and then I'm going to put out three quick things. Before we read the story, though, there are a bunch of different characters in the story, which as you read through the first time, it's difficult to track. So what I want to do is I'm going to just talk about each of those characters and we've got a brief bit of context, and then we'll go into the story. And I asked my friend George uh, to draw a picture, which he did. Hey. So basically, we're so we're in judges, okay? and so far, for the people of God, you, you had like Joseph went down to Egypt, a guy called Moses raised up, he said, Let my people go to Pharaoh, bring them out of Egypt, and they cross over the Red Sea, they go into the, the kind of desert 40 years under a guy called Moses, and then the leader of Joshua comes along, he leads them into the promised land. So there's Joshua in the top right. He leads them across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And one of the first places they take is Jericho. They march around the walls of Jericho and then that falls down. And then um, they also take this place called Hazel. So one of the earliest places that is taken is this place called Hazel. And um, one of the tribes of Israel is called the Naphtalites or Naphtali. And they are given that part of the Promised Land. So the Naphtali means I own that bit of land. They meant to reside there, to be fruitful, to multiply, to uh, know God's love and grace with them. And what happens is over time, so Joshua dies, and then you go into this period of judges. And basically the book of judges is like these cycles where the people of God, they kind of go away from God. They stop loving them. They stop doing the whole great command and great commission stuff. Stop serving Stop um, having him as their, their, their king, their love of their life. They, so they go into evil practices, they start mixing with the other people that are in the land. And, and some of these people get into all sorts of horrendous kind of uh, sexual immorality, idol worship, all sorts of horrendous things. And then what happens is that a judge is raised up. So this is a person who remembers the word of God and comes and says, hey, come on, we need to stand on the promise of God, we need to remember him. And then the people, they, they kind of rally to that call, they remember God, they like the start worshiping him again, and then God delivers them from that current kind of evil mess, and they have some peace in their lands, and then they have a bit of time of peace, and then they go back into evil practices, they start messing up again and worshiping God. And that kind of cycle goes round and round and round. And so, um, we're in the chapter we're about to read, so Joshua's taken the man, Naphtali, he is now ruled by a guy called Barak, who's at the bottom of the Naphtali picture. So Barak is the leader of the Naphtalites, and as someone who was one of the first 
Israelite clans to enter in, as his ancestors were one of the first Israelite clans to enter in. He should know about God's promises on his people. But he ends up basically allowing a guy called King Jacob, which is at the top left, to come in and reside in the land. So that place of Joshua took over, Jericho and Hazor, is now given back to the enemy. They start rebuilding the walls, they start rebuilding the city of Hazor, and they now reside in that kind of green, stripy bit. So King Jabin, he has a commander of the army who leads his armies forward, and his name is Sisera. So he was Sisera's army, and um, Sisera is actually the character on the bottom left, which has got the um, shield that kind of looks like a surfboard. And he is fist pumping a guy called Heba, because Heba is a Kenite, and Heba, he um, lives in Naphtali, but he's kind of disowned his people, he's a bit of a traitor, and so Heba basically ends up kind of saying to uh, Sisera and his army and to King Jacob, hey, if you're ever in trouble, Right, come, come to my place, I'll give you safe passage, I'll protect you, you'll be alright. Eva is married to Jael. Jael, amazing woman of God, loves God, knows God's promises, fixes her husband's mother, anointed. She is willing, even though he's not, she is willing to stand on the promise of God. So we're going to read about her in a minute. And in amongst all of this, the person who God has raised up to remind the people of God to come and stop messing around is this wonderful woman, Deborah, who, who comes to God, who loves God, knows her identity of God. She's got some great gifts. She's, she's an incredible woman, actually. She's a singer, she's a songwriter, she's a poet, she's a warrior, and now she's been called to be a judge to help to settle disputes between the people in the land. So, uh, Background. You understand the different characters? Okay. Let's read. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 4. It's going to come up. I might forget to do it, so just maybe for Jim, maybe I want to take it Right, so uh, verse 1, chapter 4. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So this is that spike of sighting. Now that Ehud was dead, Ehud um, was a, one of the good guys who ended up killing one of the old kings by stabbing him in his gut. And he was so fat that the sword um, was wrapped around his stomach and his, his stomach swallowed it. You can read that in chapter 3. Anyway, chapter 4. So Ehud's now dead, and so the Israelites are dead, even in the eyes of the Lord. So, the Lord sold them into the hands of Jacob, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazur, where he shouldn't be in the first place. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Hiroshima, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So then now they cry out for the Lord for their 20 years of pain and distress. They've not been going with God. Now they're going to start praying to God. Just to mention that the whole 900 chariots fitted with iron, that is like the super weapon of the day. That's like your Tomahawk missiles and um, your kind of stealth planes. It's like all the best that the army could have at that time, they have. So that's all. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lachidot, 
was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She said to Barak, son of Abinam of Kadesh in Naphtali, so she's like calling for the king, and she says to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take of you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebedee, and lead them up to the mountains to take all. I will then lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, move his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, so she's going to like get them to follow her. And then once I've done that, to the Kishon River, uh, that's what it is. You will, I'll give him into your hands. So just for the pause, that 10,000 people is actually not many. But Deborah is a woman who knows, hey, if God is for us, he can be against us. And 10,000 is enough because God is the one who's called us to be in this place and I'm trusting in his promises. So then, Barak, because he's a bit of a worse, well, if you go, Deborah, I will go. But if you don't go, I won't go. That's what it sounds like. I have a good authority. And she says, Yes, yeah, certainly. I will go with you. I'll encourage you, that's what she said, said Deborah. But because of the course that you are taking, the honour will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver sister into the hands of a woman. A woman. So she's not saying it be herself, but she's saying she's prophesying hey, a woman is going to do this. So Deborah went with Barak to Gadesh. There, Barak summons everyone in the Nephtali and the 10,000 men, so she's, he's doing as she says, and went up. They went up on his command, and Deborah also went with them. Now, Heba, remember Heba, this part of this is right? Um, he, the Kenite, left the other Kenites, who's the traitor, the descendants of Hobob, Moses' brother in law, and he pitched his tent on a great tree in Zalaim near Kadesh. And when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Horoshev Hagoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his life and his And so Deborah goes to Barak, because Barak, he needs his encouragement, so she goes to him again. Go! This is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So I will give encouragement. So Barak, he went down, Mount Tabor with the 10,000 men following him. And Barat's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and the army got sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. I'm just going to pause. What, um, in chapter 5, Deborah then basically retells a story in Psalm 4. And she sings about it. So she kind of recounts parts of it. And in chapter 20, in verse 20 of chapter 5, we find out that um, it says, From the heavens the stars fall, from their courses they fall against Sisera. The river Kishon swept them away, the age of river, the river Kishon. So march on and strong. And basically, what a lot of um, theologians that are much wiser than me tell me is that, so Baal, who the people used to worship, the, the enemy, is the god of the storms. And so our God, the God of the Bible, he then defeats their army by bringing a great storm and wiping them out. Oh, it's amazing, you are ironic, you know, 
Isten ez már van, hogy jól volt szó. Na, a saját házában. Nem mit egyszerűen el. Ez kell. Szóval a barák pesztűn a csárat, and the army as far as her shift, her shift, the goddamn. All of Cicero's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was there. Cicero, meanwhile, he fell on foot to the temple of Jael, the wife of Heber, the keeper, because he loved to find rest there. Because, as he possessed, there was an alliance between Jacob, the king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. So Jael, she went out to meet Cicero and said to him, Hey, come on, Lord. Come on, you don't be afraid to come in. So he entered the temple and she covered him with a blanket and he said, Well, I'm thirsty. Please give me some water. She opened the skin of milk. She gave him a drink. It's like milk and cookies. Here you go. She covered him up. And then he says, hey, can you stand in the doorway of the tent? If someone comes by and asks you, is there anyone in there? Just say no. But Jael remembers the promise of God. Mighty woman of God. Instead, it says, Heber's wife, Jael, picked up a tent bed and she got a hammer and she went quietly to him. And while he lay fast asleep and exhausted, she drove that tent bed through his temple into the ground and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Cicero, looking for him, a look of him, and Jael went out to meet him and said, Hey, come, I'll show you the man you're looking for. And so he went with her, and there lay Cicero with a tempeh through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jacob, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jacob, the king, until they, just, until they were destroyed. And then right at the end of chapter 5, it says, And the land had peace for 40 years. These amazing women, in the face of all the kind of their contemporaries, the men around them, messing around, compromising, allowing the enemy to take places, take strongholds in the promised land, they step up and say, No, come on. God has promised this land to us. God has made his promises, and he will keep his promises. But we, the people of God, have a part to play in it. That's what I say, hey, when we need to remember first to love God, to live for Him, to trust Him, but also we don't just have our hands, we don't just have these gifts for no reason. We need to take action. Loving God and taking action is what all Christians are called to do. We're not called to sit around on our hands and feet, but actually we're called to do stuff in the world. And the Bible gives us all sorts of different things that we can do, um, all sorts of great things that we can do, um, and you can, you can read about it, you can discover how you're called to love your family, how you're called to love your neighbours, how you're called to give to the poor, how you're called to help others, how you're called to build the church, the kingdom of God, how you're called to be part of the community, how you're called to pray for people, to care for the sick, and the dying, and the hurt. There's all sorts of things we can do, and it's all summarised in the love of the Lord of God. Loving others, having them, and sharing Jesus. And three key things I just want to put out from these amazing women are these three. The first one um, is obedience. Okay. They're obedient. Deborah heard God's voice and she was willing to share it with Barak. She wasn't afraid to do that. She decided when she called him to her call. And you know, it's so easy sometimes when God is telling us stuff, encouraging us to do stuff, to kind of give in to the fear. And I believe God has encouraged us to faith. 
come on, let's be obedient to him, to his call, to what he's saying to us, to step out into those things that he's called us to. You know, Deborah was unique um, in that not only she led by example, but she was bold and assertive, and she was obedient in both her personal and her public life. Um, Deborah's calling as a judge was not her sole occupation. She was also a wife as well. She was a warrior, she was a prophetess, like I said, she was also a songwriter. And she's faithful, she's proved faithful in all of them. And, you know, we're all to do the same. You know, I mentioned Superman earlier. He did the same. He was a faithful husband, faithful, good father, good at work, but also he went on and used the gifts that he was given to do the things that he was called to do. We're called to do the same. God has given each of us our identity and we're called to obedience. And I wonder how are you do it? How's your obedience to the Lord? What's he been speaking to you about that you've been putting off? What's he been encouraging you to, to get rid of, to move out of the way that you've, you've held back from? Where has he encouraged you to take ground? They gave up ground, you know, that, that picture. Um, Barak gave up ground to the enemy. I wonder where are you giving ground in your life? Where are you allowing the enemy to take a, take a step, take a foothold? What are, you, what are you allowing him, or what are you giving him to? What are you allowing him to store up? Is it hatred, anger, jealousy, addiction? What, you know, where are you allowing him to take ground? God calls us to be obedient, to put him first, to love him, to live for him. To serve him. And not just in our public areas of life, not just our own places, but in our private areas as well. To be obedient throughout our whole day, 24 7. Deborah and Jael were obedient to God. There's new people that are obedient. The second thing is they had courage. And um, they took courage not from their own skills or gifting, but from God's promises. Deborah knew the word of God. She knew all the story, all that happened from, you know, Moses taking them out of uh, Egypt, through the waters, into the desert, Joshua taking them to the promised land. All those words about be strong, be courageous, you know, don't, don't be afraid, because God is with you, he's not going to leave or forsake you. And she remembered that. And the blokes around her, they did it. They forgot it. They were like, oh, you know, that'll be alright, let's just leave them there. No, no, no. Small enough, we need to be courageous people. And that's what she did. She was bold and courageous for God's glory. Leaders lead. And Barak wasn't doing that. So Deborah stepped in and said, Now come on. And uh, she didn't pass the buck, in fact. And also, though, she didn't run like roughshod over Barak either. She just got alongside him. She encouraged, Hey, you play your part. Come on. Come on, you can do this. You know, she's just. Gave, gave him encouragement, come on, don't forget, so surely he's given them into your hands. And so she encouraged him, but also she wasn't saying, well, you go and do it and I'll sit back here. She's like, yeah, no, I'll come as well. As a leader, she was willing to go where she was encouraging Barack to go. You know, I think that about myself. You know, whenever I, every week, you know, I get the joy of preaching, it's wonderful. But every week, the first person I'm preaching to is myself. And I'm going to think to myself, okay, where is in my life do I need to make sure that I'm obedient to God? Where is in my life do I need to take courage and stuff? Um, and, and I encourage you to do the 
He is the King, and we're all trying to follow Him and serve Him faithfully. In whatever areas He's called us to, to some people it's leading worship, to some people it's preaching, to some people it's leading life, to some people it's just being faithful to their husband or wife, to their kids, or just serving in their workplace, it's just loving God and loving others around them. Whatever it doesn't matter. Everyone is called to be courageous in the area that God's called them to. And, uh, and in order to do that, we need the Holy Spirit, don't we? We need the Holy Spirit. We can't do it our own strength. But even in our weakness, we can be strong because we know that God is with us. She models amazing obedience, but also the willingness to speak the truth, to stand on her courage, and to take action. And I think that's amazing. The third thing that she does, so let's have courage, let's be obedient, let's have courage, and then lastly, let's also have conviction. So she has conviction about what God would say. She didn't waver in her faith. And we might not always know what the road looks like ahead. We might not always know what the twists and turns will be to come. In fact, no one ever does because we don't live in the future, we live in the present. But we can be sure that God will faithfully guide us in these things. And she had conviction that God was going before them, that God had called them to this. And I, I want us to believe, as a church, we should have conviction that God has called us to love Him, to love others, to share Jesus. It's all we all we're called to do. It's all we need to do. Great one, great commission. And imagine our church if we did that, all of us together, loving God, being obedient, casting our sin, stepping into all He's called us to, stepping out in our gifts. Trusting actually that he's a good giver of these gifts that he's given us. And I believe we continue to see, as we have done, lives transformed in us and amongst us and around us. First our own, then those in our church and in our community. Deborah's courage is legendary, but her confidence didn't come from her abilities or in Israel's puny army that were vastly outnumbered by sisters. Not just outnumbered physically by numbers, but also by the super weapons of the day. Jacob, he trusted in the things of this world. But Deborah and Jacob trusted in God. They trusted in God's power, in God's provision. Knowing that God was not only for Israel, but had gone before them, was all the strength that she needed to take action, to get the job done, to inspire others. Hey, we can have that too. God is with us. He's for us. He's not against us. He's gone before us. He's there. We heard last week from Stuart, uh, he talked from Acts 17, and there's that great verses that we also remind from in the series about loving people towards Jesus that God has set us in the boundaries, in the context, with the people around us, that they might come to know the Lord through us. You live, and you reside, and you work, and you study, in the exact place that God has called you to. And the people around you, those people in your sphere of influence, God has placed, you can trust that God has placed there to interact with you, to know his life. So let's, but sometimes we forget it, don't we? We just go about, we get to Monday, we just go about our day. I'm half an easy to do as well. I get to know people in my neighborhood on the street, and they feel good, and see someone to go about, and forget, I'm there to do them good, to shine Jesus away. To love them, to care for them, to get alongside them, to, to serve them, but also to share with them about Jesus and all that He's done in our lives. So, no matter how we do that, what steps are we taking to do those things?
So the Great Command, the Great Commission, they go hand in hand. All of these things, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We can't do it in ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, what I want to do is invite the worship team back up. But what, what I'd ask is, that's, you know, David's just going to play in quietly. And um, we're going to stand. I want to encourage you, even if you're here for the first time, it's right. Um, for the second quarter. Just to kind of get into small groups, just remember that threes or fours. And I was trying to pray, just pray for one another. If you feel comfortable, you might just lay hand on one another. And um, if you don't want to, it's fine, you're really relaxed. Um, you, don't, you don't have to pray out loud, but maybe one or two in your group will. And just be praying that the Holy Spirit will fill each and every one of us. That whatever God has been speaking to us about through the story of these two wonderful women, that he would impart something of their character, their nature into our lives. Whether that's obedience, whether that's courage, whether that's conviction, knowing that God is good, he's good, he's for us, so no one, no one can be against us. Nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing. It's incredible. I just want to encourage you just to pray. Pray truth. We've been singing truth. We won't pray truth just on each other. Lay your hands and just ask God to fill me with this his prayer. Thanks for listening. We meet on Sundays at 10am at the Royal Grammar School in Guildford. We look forward to seeing you.